Today is Thursday, May 21st. I am Jennifer Harris, Chief of Media Services for Charles County and the Public Information Officer for the COVID-19 emergency on the government side. Charles County is preparing to enter Stage 1 of the Governor's Roadmap to Recovery on Friday, May 29th. This means that certain businesses, houses of worship, and personal services may operate at 50% of their maximum capacity. The county's health department has been working to actively coordinate technical assistance and support to prepare our community for a safe reopening. Today, I am pleased to be joined by Dr. Howard Haft, who has overseen the COVID-19 public health emergency here in Charles County. Welcome, Dr. Haft. Thank you. It's my great pleasure to be here today. I want to begin by saying something that we've been communicating all along, really, since the very early stages of this emergency. It's important for the public to remember that the COVID-19 virus is highly contagious and it can be easily spread. You can both get it or give it to others without even showing any symptoms. And that's really what's made it so scary for, uh, I think, the public to really um, think about and, and how we can move forward safely. Dr. Haft, you held a webinar earlier today where you were talking with businesses and houses of worship and others in our community. Um, and you started by saying the virus will do what viruses do and the actions people take will dictate the outcomes. Can you share what you mean by that and really what the the public needs to know as we gradually move to reopen parts of our business and religious communities? Sure, Jen. I'm happy, I'm happy to share with you what that what that means, and and, and, I'll, and I'll try not to be too um, scientific about this. So, um, but I'll start with the science, is that it's the science says that these little particles that we can't see, these viruses, they're little pieces of uh, RNA um, don't really have a conscience or a mind or anything. They just exist for the reasons of finding places that they can go to and replicate. Um, and and what they rep- the places they go to to replicate, which is the only thing that they care about doing, are human beings at this point. So they don't go to other things. They don't go to trees or to the grass or we don't think to any extent to other animals. Uh, just the human beings. So from a, a from this from this coronavirus's perspective, all it has to do is find people to go to. Um, and it doesn't care what color, race, creed, religion they are. They just know that they can get from one person to another um, by being spread by droplets when people breathe or speak or um, cough or sneeze. Um, and they can hang around in those droplets in the air for a while. <clears throat> and, and they can spread those droplets you know, between and among people even people who don't have symptoms who have the virus can spread them out in the air. And sometimes they land on surfaces and they can live on surfaces for a while too. And they live on surfaces for quite a long time, but, uh, but this, the, they don't get transmitted quite as well from surfaces as they do from the air. Um, so from the perspective of, of um, people, it's people who spread this virus to other people. Um, and we think about that, the virus doesn't care about who's it's being spread to. It just knows it wants to be spread. Um, it's really happy um, when people come close together because it gives it an opportunity to spread from one to another. Really happy if those people are close together and they not they don't have face coverings on because that really lets the, the virus get out there. Every time somebody breathes or coughs or speaks or, or sings or does whatever they're going to do, that let them exhale, virus particles get out there. Um, so, so it's really not about the virus. 
that we're talking about. It's going to continue to, as long as we, we have it around, until we have a, a way to immunize ourselves against the virus, that is, if we get it, we're not going to get sick, or we have a way to kill the virus when it's in us, that is, with a, an antiviral medication that's effective, and there's none of the, neither of those things exist now. It's all about what we do between and among ourselves that's going to dictate how the virus spreads. I think that's such an important foundation of what you're talking about because it really drives our whole strategy as to how and when we'll reopen and what the public and our businesses and all the organizations that want to welcome people back need to know so we can safely recover from this. Yeah, that's thank you. That's exactly right. And the and the prescription from the from the doctor's view for this how do how do we keep from each giving this virus to one another? Is that, is that we just need to do a couple simple things. Uh, it's really not as hard as, uh, as some people would think it is. Um, and the simple things really have to do with, with good, um, hand washing, um, knowing that, um, that if we're going to pick up the virus, um, we can, we can transmit it to others or to ourselves from touching our nose or mouth or lips or eyes. And, and we don't think about this, but we probably do that thousand times a day each of us. But if we intermittently wash our hands well uh, for 20 seconds with soap and water uh, or use hand sanitizer, we're going to limit the spread of virus in that way. Really importantly, we need to kind of keep our distance from people for right now, not forever, but just for right now while the virus is around. Um, and know that, that there's kind of a, a standard limit that we know that if we keep six feet apart from other people, we're not likely either to get the virus from them or spread the virus to somebody else. So that six-foot distance is really effective in reducing the virus. And then also covering our faces, our noses, and our mouths, because that's where we exhale, and that's where the virus particles come from. If we happen to be asymptomatic carriers, we don't want to give it to somebody else. We just block it right there in our face. And that same facial covering also protects us from getting some of the virus from somebody else. So those are really kind of the simple things that we can do is keeping our distance and using facial coverings and, and, and good hand sanitizing. Um, so I think that I'll, I'll just stop there because I think that those are the three most important things. Then there's other things that we can do as a community that I can talk about in a little bit more detail. Thank you for that. It's important to get back to the basics when we're really um, preparing to reopen. And I want to talk about that a little bit more. I, I, I remember back on March 13th when uh, the governor announced that schools were going to be shut down. And then fast forward to March 16th, he shut down bars and restaurants. And then it just went on from there. And I think at the time we were all thinking, gosh, how are we going to get through an extended shutdown? But really, it's been much more difficult to think about how we're going to reopen now that we've been shut down in many ways for uh, several weeks now. So what are you doing from the health uh, perspective to help us move into stage one of the governor's plan, which the Charles County Board of Commissioners voted to do on Friday, May 29th. So today is May 21st. We're at eight days out from that. Share um, who is authorized to open on May 29th and to what extent can they do so. And I think it's also important, if you could, to talk about what places will need to remain closed. Because I think there's a lot of 
um, confusion and misinformation out there. And just based on the questions we got from our own community a short time ago, I think it would be helpful for everybody to know a little bit more in detail what the governor's orders actually say and how we're cooperating and aligning ourselves with it. Sure. So I'm happy to go through that with you. So what, what, what we are going to do, uh, both as a health department and also in conjunction with, um, with others in the community, uh, is to build a, a coalition um, to provide um, technical assistance and guidance and roadmaps uh, and templates and checklists um, and, and hands-on information and, and, and support um, to all of the businesses that are prepared to uh, open on the 29th. And to answer your question, the 29th, that, that was a, a decision that uh, was made um, by the county commissioners. So that, that, that's a county commissioner decision open then, as will subsequent decisions um, based on the, uh, the county commissioners. They, they can choose to um, open um, completely um, as, or, or to do something that would be uh, more restrictive than a complete opening, but they can't choose to do anything less restrictive than the governor's order for phase one. Um, so that, that speaks to, um, to the second part of your question, what can't open up? Now, so we know that, um, that religious facilities can open up um, with uh, less than 50% capacity, retail establishments with less than 50% capacity, manufacturing can open up, and personal service organizations can open up, such as beauty salons and barbershops, um, with certain um, conditions, each of those with certain conditions. Um, and then golf courses, driving range. Um, outdoor archery, shooting ranges, marinas, watercraft, campgrounds, horseback, horseback riding, and, uh, and others can, can also open up. But each of those, they, they open up with under specific guidance. So there's first, the first level is what do the orders allow you to do? And there's a very high level of you can open up with a certain capacity. But then there's, there's this more specific guidance that we say, yes, you can open up with a, a specific capacity, but how do we go a step past that to best practices? And the best practices would have us adhere to those things that we just talked about, about uh, face coverings and social distancing and, and doing things that, given that in, in particular business or manufacturing site or others, how can we best protect um, our employees and our customers and the public in general from spread of the virus, so that's a, at a much more granular level. And that's really where the where the health department and, and this coalition that will build of um, county economic development, the College of Southern Maryland, and others can provide that assistance to say, "Great that you want to do this, but let's do it in the best way possible." And here's the here's the prescription for doing that. Here's the checklist for doing that in a in a good way. So, in a manufacturing facility, for instance, it might be putting up. Um, clear see-through plexiglass uh, in between two sites where people are manufacturing a certain um, kind of product, uh, where social distancing because of the machinery wouldn't be allowed, but we can we can work around that with um, with other things. Um, in many places, it might be that kind of uh, putting up clear see-through plexiglass uh, dividers. In other cases, it might be um, doing more with social distancing and gating the number of people who come into a particular business at a particular time. Some businesses, like the personal services, will be all by appointment. That's not a bad idea for other businesses to 
use that depending on the circumstance. Um, what we talk about when we talk about opening in these categories, there's lots of different businesses in each of those categories and lots of different footprints and lots of different customer profiles and lots of different employee profiles. And, and we just need to make sure that we can customize those best practices to each of those. And that's what, this, uh, what the health department will provide guidance on and, and, and we can do together with partners in a coalition. That's great uh, information, especially on the business side, to know that they have that support and they can reach out if they want some input on their plans. Uh, I know every business might look a little different. And uh, over the past few weeks, anybody who's been to a grocery store would know that significant changes have taken place in terms of which ways you can walk down an aisle and how you're interacting at the checkout counter with the plexiglass in place and a lot of other safety measures being put in place to remind people to socially distance. So just like the grocery store example, things are not going back to the way they looked in February or even early March. Reopening does not mean getting back to normal. It's just stage one. It's very gradual. It's um, being done in the safest way possible. And people uh, need to understand that they still are safer at home. And if they can avoid the contact that you were talking about earlier, Dr. Haft, um, and not spend a whole lot of time in close proximity to other people outside of their own home, they are going to be safer and most likely healthier. I believe the governor's plan also emphasizes that we can phase up or phase down. So if things um, don't go in the right direction from um, the public health perspective, we may need to phase back down. And that's something we probably want to avoid um, if we can. Can you talk a little bit more about as the community heads out um, to do more business um, out in public and um, rejoin their houses of worship? What should residents be doing to stay safe? I know you mentioned at the beginning to wash hands, use a face mask, socially distance if you can. But I think there were a lot of other questions that came up about um, testing capacity and what do I do if I have symptoms or what if I'm asymptomatic and how do I know? Can you walk us through from the public's perspective what they need to know and how um, maybe our public health response looks different than it did a few weeks ago? Because I think that's a really important point. Yeah, thank you. That's a great question. And, and so, as you pointed out, we talked about what people do individually to stay safe. And those are pretty straightforward things and I think easy for everyone to understand um, and, and implement uh, to the greatest extent. So what does is, what is public health do now? Well, we know that, that um, there will still be cases because even despite our best um, interventions, and there, there will be people who don't abide by those. Um, or there will be people who abide by them and still um, will be victims of, of getting the virus. Um, what we're doing now is the first thing we did is absolutely increase the number of tests. So testing will um, let us test everyone who's symptomatic and test them quickly and get those results quickly. But then we've expanded to say we can test asymptomatic individuals because we have so many more tests than we had even a few weeks ago now. Um, but specifically, the, the goal for public health right now is to do containment of, this, um, of the spread. That, that was not possible before because we didn't have uh, enough testing and enough contact tracing, um, and the virus was so widely spread. But right now, we've got to tamp down because of the things that we've done over the last month in terms of mitigation factors. Um, but... Now we can move to the mitigation is a very broad base 
um, you know, the shelter in place things, all those things that we did over the last month that, that really are not completely sustainable over the long term. So now we go back to the other public health intervention, which is containment. And that says as soon as we identify somebody who's sick, we tell them to isolate. And they stay in place. We tell people who are immediately in contact with them, their family members, or people they cohabitate with, you stay in place too, you're isolated. So that keeps them from spreading it. And then we use contact tracing. We immediately get in touch with them and say, who have you been in contact with in the last 72 hours or five days? Um, and then we get in contact with those people and we test those people. And for those that are positive, we isolate them and ask them who they were in contact with. So all this kind of builds a, a firewall against the spread. And that's the way we do in ordinary circumstances in public health to contain a, an outbreak. Um, now we're, we're capable of doing that because, because we've already built kind of a, a firewall by camping down the, the, to a size, to a, a reasonable size. And we have those resources that we can deploy across the state to do this testing and contact tracing. So we're, we're able to do that now. And that'll make a big difference in terms of reducing the spread, even though there will be some keeping it to a very minimal level. And we anticipate that that will allow us to move safely through phase one and get to phase two. So I want to just emphasize a couple points and then um, you can help provide any additional detail you think the public may need to know. In terms of testing capacity, we have a much more significant capacity than we did a few weeks ago. So now we're opening up testing sites to people who may be asymptomatic um, or in the very early stages. It used to be if you had symptoms, you had to get a doctor's order to do it. I believe that's no longer the case. Uh, we do have a testing site at the Veep station in Waldorf, and the governor also announced today drive-through testing sites at certain CVS locations, including the one here in White Plains. So can you talk a little bit more about the availability of testing, and is there any requirements that people uh, might need to know, or where could they go for more information about how to access testing if they think they've been exposed? Yeah, so the first thing to do is to, if you think you've been exposed, is to obviously to contact your physician and they can order a test for you. So your your care provider can order a test, um, no matter um, who they are, um, through the state um, system. And then um, the testing capability there is through the drive-through sites um, around the state. Um, but but even past that, people now can. Um, order online a kit to do a test at home and send it into a, one of the commercial labs, Quest and LabCorp, one of those companies. They can go to um, to the drive-through that will be set up at the, in White Plains in the CVS, and I anticipate that there'll be more of those set up in other pharmacies in the county. Um, and and there'll be there are also other um, both local and state sites that um, that will um, be available for. Uh, for testing. And, and as you said, that it no longer requires a uh, physician's order. You can get it through a physician's order, but you can choose to do it commercially without a physician's order or through a pharmacy without a physician's order or through certain designated uh, VEEP sites um, or not even VEEP sites, but large scale sites in some in Prince George's County, some in uh, Baltimore County and other places um, that are, that, that are, um, that are non uh, non-vehicle emission sites, but large-scale testing sites for symptomatic or asymptomatic individuals. So we've really broadly increased the capacity, which is done both by making greater availability of the swabs that we use for testing, 
and also in, uh, including many, many more labs uh, across the state that can process those swabs and tests and turn that around quickly. I also want to dig into the contact tracing a little bit more in detail because I know personally from monitoring um, what people have been saying over the last few weeks, there's a lot of confusion and misinformation about exposure risk and what level of exposure risk you may have and how contact tracing works to really hone in on that. For example, in the early stages of this virus, there was a lot of talk about if a person happened to be in a store that a person who tested positive for the virus was in in the last couple of days, should I be concerned? And I think we've sorted out some of those um, facts from fiction, but if you could kind of delineate how a contact tracer does their work and what the public needs to know to kind of allay some of their fears that just being out and about alone doesn't necessarily make you uh, at very high risk as long as you're following the, the face mask use and um, appropriate hygiene practices that you've already talked about. Yes, that's a great question also. And I think we, we, we'll look at the um, contacts uh, that are at risk want to identify a person who tests positive as anyone who was uh, in a prolonged exposure to that individual, prolonged being 15 minutes or more, um, in a close proximity. That would be six feet or closer. Um, and in, if it's three feet or closer, it would be a shorter period of time. Um, but that's, that's really what we kind of define as the, uh, as the risk corridor. But it's certainly not... Um, if someone is in a store that had someone who was proved to be positive at some prior time, um, that becomes an, a kind of a both an exaggeration of the risk. Um, there is a risk for that, but it would be a very, very minimal risk. Um, and, and it also becomes um, challenging in terms of being able to follow, for instance, all the contacts. If somebody is positive in a, in a, in a large box store, uh, and then there were a thousand other people who were in that large box store. It would be hard to know who they are and also hard to follow up on them. And they would have minimal risk from that individual. Um, there's always going to be some uncertainty in this and that there, there will be people who are asymptomatic who transmit the virus who um, will stay asymptomatic through their course and will never know who they came in close contact with. Um, but we will be able by doing this to to pick a lot of those people who are asymptomatic because they they might have come in, it might have become uh, asymptomatic carriers because they were in contact with a symptomatic person. So we'll just be able to, to draw a much better firewall around the, around the contagion and keep it controlled. Um, I point out, this will not eliminate. It doesn't eliminate it. It just controls it, much the same as a fire break uh, controls a forest fire. It doesn't eliminate that fire, but it waits till it, it keeps it from spreading much rapidly, much further, and, um, and, and eventually it burns out. And eventually this will burn out. The virus will either, either be eliminated by a medication or we'll have a, a vaccination for it. I'm 100% certain of that. Can't give you the time frame for it, but I'm 100% certain to give everyone confidence that we will get past this. And we'll get past it by working together the best way we can. And I think that's a really great way to end the interview. I had a couple more questions, but I think at the end of the day, what you've just said is most important for people to know. There's always going to be some risk.
But there are a lot of things we can do to minimize that risk to a large degree. And a lot of the things that we've already been doing have been shown to work, which is why we're ready for stage one. I also just want to remind everybody that stage one does not mean we are anywhere near uh, the um, point where we can ever return to full normal activities like we had before. So it's really just a gradual phase reopening, taking all of the necessary steps to minimize risk and really continue to prevent the spread of the virus. Dr. Haft, um, anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up today? We really do appreciate your time. Yeah, I, I just add that, um, you know, that we have a long history um, as, as, um, civilized human beings, and particularly in the United States, and including here in, in Maryland, of getting through tough times together and emerging even better on the other side of those tough times than we were before. And I think about um, the Civil War, I think about World War II, um, and in in the, in the Depression era of, of cases where, and, and many, many other examples like that, uh, where inevitably we'll find hard times. But when we find ways to work together and get through those hard times, we emerge smarter and better than we were even before that. So I think this will be just another example. And this is the defining example for our generation. Well, I think um, that's a great note to end on. Uh, It's been a scary time for all of us. But uh, we are truly resilient, and on behalf of our community, we appreciate all that you and your agency have done during this extraordinary time. I want to remind everybody that we are committed to promoting Charles County as a model for safe recovery from COVID-19, and we urge you to follow the public health recommendations that we have shared today as we move forward. And please stay informed on the latest updates. Always get your facts directly from credible sources like the CDC and the Maryland Department of Health, as well as our own local Department of Health here in Charles County. As a reminder, their hotline remains available for residents to ask questions about COVID-19 at 301-609-6717. Please stay tuned for more information by visiting our website, charlescountymd.gov. You can follow us on Facebook or Twitter. Subscribe to the county's daily e-news. Sign up for our text and email alerts through our citizen notification system and watch CCG TV on Comcast Channel 95 or Verizon Channel 10. You can subscribe to our podcast online or watch us on our YouTube channel. Please continue to stay tuned as this public health emergency continues to evolve. And thank you for listening today. (music) 